Dear listener, welcome to the Atlantic. My name is Svavar Jonathanson, the narrator and creator of this podcast, which I describe as a space where the roads of inquiry can lead in any direction, like the needle of a compass, which just happens to be sitting far north up in the Atlantic Ocean, on an island I call home, midway between North America and Europe, with Greenland as its nearest geographic neighbor, Iceland has for the last 1144 years been home to a slowly growing population or originating from Norwegian and Celtic settlers along with slaves. Today there's about 330,000 people that call this volcanic island home, while 1.7 million people call it the destination. Not that there haven't been any foreigners arriving until the recent tourist boom, far from it. The country had for long attracted English, Spanish, Dutch and French fishermen through the centuries, the German Hansa merchants came for trade, and the Danes ruled their colony for more than 500 years, until 1944, when independence was gotten, gained or given, depending on how you look at it. And of course the Americans, as well as the British, had close to 50,000 soldiers stationed on this most northern outpost during World War II, a key strategic point in the war effort due to shipping routes, and later as a surveillance hub for the North Atlantic during the Cold War. All of these foreign agents, whether fishermen, foes, friends, benefactors, rulers, soldiers, merchants, and now tourists, have had various and far from one-dimensional effects on the small population. For close to 800 years, the historical view was that of everyone but the Icelandic public enjoying the riches of the ocean or the meat of the land. The big foreign fishing vessels, schooners, and later trawlers scooped up the fish that Icelandic fishermen dragged up and into small rowboats, making the profession a deadly effort for survival. Now this led to some annoyance, manifesting itself later in a couple of little wars fought against the British over fish, caught to be precise. The Danish merchants had a monopoly, seldom seeming fair to the farmers, who gave their produce in exchange for much needed or just wanted goods. The Americans, on the other hand, brought the Marshall Plan, and more money than the nation had seen since the Viking days of plunder. Bear with me. We are just about to reach the premise of the actual show in question. Iceland went from being the poorest country in Europe to the richest, minutes before a banking sector multiple in size than the nation's GDP tanked in 2008. The country found itself blooming and booming ten years later with more construction cranes arching their necks to the sun than ever before. Another mad, frenzied economic period of a small island nation like the herring fishing of the 50s, get it while it's there, boom or bust? Whatever the future holds, I'm here, surrounded by an extremely well-documented history, a unique nature in the world's most sparsely populated country, my fellow 330,000 Icelanders, and the 1.7 million tourists. What I'm going to do in this space of ours is create the center point, a kind of curiosity portal leading not only into the Icelandic history and reality that I constantly encounter and study, but out to the wider world, through the insights, stories and experiences that are stored in each of the 1.7 million people landing here on the simplified concept of tourism. All I want are their stories, background, lessons, views, advice, humor, reflection, opinion, and whatever they might want to share with me, with all of us, as we are merchants and traders of stories and experiences. So what we have is a loosely defined, pretty wide framework for a podcast series which even has a misspelled name. Welcome to the Atlantic. We start the first podcast with an encounter I had in 2013. 
as I came walking out of a nightclub at 3 a.m. on a summer night to find a blue-haired girl playing her ukulele on the sidewalk, seemingly undisturbed by the noise of the surrounding crowd. It's about my mountains in Idaho. seemed to gain some strange and unusual glow that stayed with me until I met up with Leanne McIsaac the day after. We had dinner, conversations into the night, and a lot of music. She explained how she feels when playing music. It's like when I play music, I like put like my, I like it's like I'm breathing in the songs. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like when I play, it's like I'm, I take like whatever is like in here and it, I breathe it out. <laughs> so, so it's it's like kind of like, um, kind of like when you sigh. You know, when you sigh or you cry, it's like you're like letting something out and it's like the same thing when I sing or play music. It's like I'm like breathing out something that's like inside of me. Does that make sense? I'd say Leanne radiates creativity in a way you feel is both instinctive and in need of constant release. Having grown up with a creative mind, we discussed creativity in childhood and the slap on the face she got for being herself. Um, yeah, I think so. I always felt a little bit different. I don't know. I think like when I was like in when it was just when I was younger, it was as like I felt different, but I wanted to like. You always want to feel like you're part of something, and you want to like blend in. I think at that age, you know, so like whatever is like weird and strange about you, it's like if somebody says, "Oh, you're weird," it's like an insult, I guess. Yeah, it feels like. It feels like you're like disliked because you're good at something, and then it makes because you're seven and you're just learning how the world works. You know, you like you don't really understand things. You really don't understand yourself, and you're just like learning how everything works. So when you're like at such a young age, like you draw and you're like you think like oh this is a good thing. You know I draw and it it's nice and I like to do it and I like drawing elephants and monkeys and stuff. And then kids are like 
I hate you because you can draw elephants and monkeys and you're like, what? You're like, okay, like maybe it's a bad thing then. Except that young age, like you don't know. You just think, oh, like this is like, you're learning like, okay, if I do this, this is the reaction I get. You know, because you're just learning how to live. And then, so yeah, it's really discouraging when you're seven. I was, there's this book, The Little Prince, have you ever read it? And there's like this part where he draws like, what, like a, a, a snake, right? He draws like a snake under like a something, or it's like a boa that's eaten, eaten a hat or something. I don't remember what it is, but in the book it talks about that. He's like, he's like, when I was little I drew this and nobody knew what it was. And since then I've given up being an artist. <laughs> Fast forward, and Leanne goes from being a kid to a teenager in Boise, Idaho. The defining change in her life came when she did something that most people connect with getting lost, losing track of goals, or simply going off course. That is the course that society wants us to follow. I think about it like when I actually started to like really become myself and not like what everyone else was and like really figured out what I liked in life and what I didn't like was when I dropped out of high school. Because I spent so much time just by myself at home that I kind of had no choice but to like be like, do I like this music or do I not? Because all I had was like me. And that was actually like the best thing I ever did for myself was drop out of high school and just like spend like years by myself. Because <laughs> I did. I, I became really like um, anxious and I couldn't be around people. But it was, it, which is like not good. But at the same time it was because I did like just like watched a lot of like documentaries about things and like I don't know just really became me because that's all I had to hang out with I wasn't influenced by like other people around me because they were there when Leanne started working it's like she went on either a collision course with something magical or just plain hilarious or both like when she found herself behind the counter at a makeup store and I hated it I was like 15, and so like, I was just like a teenager, you know, like moody and stuff. <laughs> and like, it was like a really expensive makeup store. So the customers I get in were like really nice rich old ladies or like really cranky rich old ladies. And I hated it because they'd always complain because I was 15 and I was pretty irresponsible and I'd fall asleep all the time at work <laughs> because I was so bored. And my boss actually didn't care because she was like, you know, like I fall asleep too. Just if you're going to sleep, sleep in the back room. <laughs> Because what would happen is I would, I would fall asleep and the customers would walk in and they'd have to wake me up. <laughs> I would just be like at the desk, you know, like asleep. And they'd walk in. And then the, so they complained about me. They complained because I slept. And they complained because like it's a makeup store and so like I'm supposed to like dress nice and wear makeup because I'm trying to sell makeup. But I didn't always want to wear makeup, you know? And so like, some days I didn't, and they complained, be like, yeah, she was asleep, and she wasn't wearing makeup. <laughs> now it's so funny that these things mattered, but I mean, it's pretty bad, I guess, to fall asleep at work. But I mean, it was so boring. Like, I'd have, like, one customer within, like, an like, eight-hour day. Like, it was so slow and boring. And it was a tiny store, so there was, like, nothing to clean and nothing to do. So I would, like, draw, and then I'd just get really tired. And then I'd get this, like, pressure, like, okay, you can't fall asleep because you're at work. You know, and then that would make me like, oh no, like more tired. <laughs> so I would just fall asleep. A few years later, she found herself stressed out in front of a computer screen, fixing people's TVs through the phone. Like 70 phone calls a day, <laughs> people yelling and just so stressful. And it's so stressful, you're like sitting there with like headphones and you're just like, I'd get so much anxiety because it's like beep, beep, 
phone call. I hate your company. I hate this. Why is my bill three hundred dollars? Blah blah blah. And I was like, oh my god, it was like terrible. But then I think like towards the end, I kind of just like stopped caring, and I would have like really long conversations with people I thought were nice or interesting, even though I was, I'd like fix their TV, and then we'd like go on talking about like horoscopes or like <laughs> or like their son. And I had people inviting me to like come visit them. They'd be like, oh, like come visit me. Look at my address. You could see on the computer. And like, no, I'm really not allowed to write down your address. And they'd be like, come visit me. I, I you know, I'll take you to Disneyland. I'll make you food. We could go to Disneyland. <laughs> or I had like old like millionaires like asking me like oh you're so sweet would you marry me I'm like no <laughs> like, what are you talking about I'm like 18 and I'm in Idaho and you're just talking to me on the phone because I'm fixing your TV for you <laughs> no I'm, I don't think I can marry you sorry <laughs> I want you to grow in my garden, my garden Cause that's where I grow Things that I love and I love you And I love you And I want you to grow about tall and strong You're growing up a wiry and rough But I love you And I love you And I want you to sleep in my flower bed But you won't rest your creative head But I love you And I love you I want you to grow in my garden, my garden, cause that's where I grow the things that I love, and I love you, and I love you, and you're always up with that fucking moon, and you're always sleeping well past noon, but I love you, and I love you, oh, I want you to grow my garden, my garden, cause that's where I grow the things that I love, and I love you, and I love you. Like my roses do But I know this isn't good for you Cause you're a wildflower And you do what you do Oh, I want you to grow in my garden, my garden Cause that's where I grow The things that I love And I love you And I love you And I want you to grow up all tall and strong But you're growing up all wiry and rough But I love you And I love Later, she moved to Portland, Oregon, where she faced the hardest time in her young adult life, although it would lead her to another place where something in her would be transformed. I don't know, like, oh, like, I have a job, and I've got a little apartment, and I'm going to get married, and I'm just going to, this is my life, and it just wasn't me at all, and I just think I was trying so hard to be, like, this little wife lady, and it just, I'm, I felt so trapped and trapped within myself, and just, I was so unhappy. I just, I felt like I didn't know who I was. I felt like I didn't know myself anymore. I think that's the most lost I've ever felt in my life was was when I was in Portland. And so that's why I was like so sad. And then when I was in Hawaii, I felt like I was on this like, I felt like, like I was an explorer and I felt like I was like on like 
I felt like I was in Neverland. I felt like I was like exploring this like amazing like magical island and exploring like the magical synchronicities of life and how we're all connected and how like it was so amazing just how things would work out you know like I would think like oh you know like I, I really need we had this saying in Hawaii be careful what you ask for because like you'll get it and because like it just like you just give yourself I just gave myself to this island it's like okay I'm here like like I just surrender myself to like the world and life and just to see whatever is going to happen one of her biggest fears was to lose the part of herself that had once been a free spirit a worry that her mother offered some wise words of advice my mom was like no like you will like you'll get this back someday she's like maybe just like a part of you full forever be like like hardened and like changed it's like but you will get like your happiness back and you will get like your sunshineness and she's like and you will get your free spiritness back she, and I, I didn't believe her <laughs> I was like no like I will never be a free spirit again like this this sadness has forever taken me like I, I really felt like that and so it was kind of I worked so hard because for months after that I was still really stone cold and I didn't I wasn't very talkative I wasn't very social and I couldn't talk to people and I couldn't be around people so I was took so much work to be in Hawaii and to be like laughing and running around and being happy and I was like whoa I, I do I remember like thinking that at one point in Hawaii I was like whoa like I worked so hard to get this back and like now it's back it's here That's four years ago. We still keep in touch, and I'll occasionally see a photo of her, often performing somewhere in a long gypsy-like dress, a mystical array of vintage jewelry, headdress of flowers, red, white, or blue hair, her favorite color. And in that blue color lies a significant part of who she is, all the way back to the age of three, when she asked for a pillow of her own for her fourth birthday. The request was simple enough, but her mother told her she'd get her a pink pillow after explaining the simple color code for boys and girls. This bothered her, as her favorite color was and is blue, no matter what her sex is. Since then, she's asked a lot of questions about why things are the way they are, and through her music, she aims to break some of the traditions that keep people boxed up mentally. She goes by the artist's name Mavi Blue, emphasizing not only her love of the color blue, but an homage to Turkey. Mavi means blue in Turkish, but it was while living in Turkey that she found her own bravery. She still wanders a lot and explores life throughout the United States and the world, meeting like-minded people, perhaps often seen as outsiders compared to the box of normality. Perhaps a fluent concept and constant reevaluation to some, but as of now, Leanne calls Salt Lake City home.
That's it for this week's Stories from the Atlantic. For a link to a video of Leanne playing and singing in the London Metro, go to our website, www.svavar.net, svavar.net, and click the podcast link. I hope you'll join me next week for more stories from the Atlantic. Oh, I wanna go to a small town I know in I Oh, I know where there's no in Idaho. And I'll bring my mister to meet my sister in I Oh, I know where the wind do blow in Idaho. Small town I know